My name is Drew Johnson. I'm the executive pastor here. And uh, I'm honored, I'm privileged to share the word of God with you tonight. And tonight we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. So if you wouldn't mind turning there with me in your Bibles, my, Matthew chapter 6. And we're actually, um, tonight we're going to read the whole chapter together. And a lot of you have been at work and it's a long chapter. So if you want to uh, stay seated, that would be fine. Um, we'll read this passage together. We'll pray and uh, we'll discuss it. Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus speaking here, and he says, uh, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men their fasting. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you're fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen." And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? And who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, 
Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do, we thank you, God, for your word given to us tonight, that the, your son spoke these words, Lord, and you've preserved it so that we can uh, read these things and treasure them in our hearts, Lord. Uh, we pray, God, tonight that you would speak powerfully to us, Lord, by your word, um, and that you would illuminate us to the things that are important to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you're like me, and I think most of you are, if there's one day we all enjoy, it's payday, right? It's payday. Uh, one moment you're poor, the next moment you're rich. Granted, the very next moment you're poor again, but well, suspend that for a moment. That single moment, your mind gets flooded with all the things you can do, right? You're like, I just, I just got enough money. I can go on that trip now. Um, I can buy that new phone. I can go to the movies. My favorite is when I get paid, it's like, we're going out to eat. <laughs> We've got to celebrate. Let's go out to eat. Um, or you can be responsible and give the money to your wife. That's also the thing you should do, probably. But being rewarded for hard work is good and right. It's part of the basic fabric that's been woven into this world that God's made. I mean, we look at Proverbs. Proverbs 12, 11, those who work their land have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Um, this is my, uh, I work with youth a lot, so this is like my verse for middle school kid, boys. If you chase fantasies, your video games, you, you have no sense. But if you work hard, you'll have food. The, or look at even 2 Timothy 2.6, the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. We know that there's reward for hard work in this life, but is there reward for doing God's work, for being kind, gracious, and compassionate, for helping the poor, the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan, or even praying? These are things for which we sacrifice our time and our effort, but do we see return on investment? And so is it really worth it? The issue of reward for righteousness, Jesus deals with here in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where we find ourselves. Chapter six of Matthew is located right smack dab in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon is perhaps the most popular and one of the most powerful sermons given by our Lord Jesus Christ, in part due to its position. The Sermon on the Mount is the very first sermon of Jesus, of the very first book in the New Testament. So if people open up the New Testament and start reading, the very first time Jesus preaches openly, and it's recorded for us at length, is the Sermon on the Mount. Up to that point uh, in the gospel, we've gotten some backstory on genealogy, the virgin birth of Jesus, his baptism, temptation in the wilderness, and the, just the start of his ministry and kind of the the nature of it. But the Sermon on the Mount is that first place where we receive the substance of the teaching of Jesus Christ. And if there's anything that's countercultural to this world, it's the Sermon on the Mount. In this passage, uh, this sermon, chapter five, six, and seven of Matthew, has a special place uh, in my heart. I remember uh, being a teenager living at home, and on the rare occasion that I woke up early, uh, I would come down the stairs to find my dad alone in the living room. And he'd be 
sitting on the couch. He'd be next to the end table with the reading lamp on and the rest of the house was dim and his coffee would be there and on his lap would be the Bible and then he'd have his devotional out. And it seemed like almost every time or on so many occasions I'd ask my dad, so what do you read him? And he'd kind of laugh to himself and he'd say, oh, I'm just reading the Beatitudes from the Sermon on the Mount again. And so that got me interested. It's like, what's, you know, what's the Sermon on the Mount about? So I'd read it all the time. And it has, so it has a special place in my heart. It has a special place in my family's heart. And um, it's, the sermon's really partitioned well by the chapter breaks. I mean, chapter five of, uh, of the sermon deals with the proper rendering of the Mosaic law. Jesus said, um, you have heard that the Mosaic law says this, but I tell you this. Jesus tells us really God's intention behind the law. Uh, and that it, that it was more than just meeting the minimum acceptable standards, that it was really about rendering your heart to the Lord and seeing people in this world as God does and acting in accordance. And then chapter seven at the end stresses the gravity of the teaching of Jesus Christ and the importance of doing everything necessary to ensure your place and even your brother's place in the kingdom of heaven. And then in the middle here, chapter six, deals with our struggle between living for success in this life and living for success in the life to come. Now, there's an ancient theology that teaches that there really is no difference between having, a success, having success in this life and in the life to come. Their teaching would posit that your success in this life is really an indicator of God's blessing and a foretaste of the blessing to come. This was the teaching of the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They had no problem with um, uh, storing up lavish, excessive wealth for themselves because, I mean, God blesses us, obviously. This is a blessing from God and a sign that I'm his beloved. And this was uh, not just ancient to Jesus' day, but it was the theology held uh, common in the time of Job. Uh, in my daily Bible reading. I'm in Psalms, and so I actually just finished up Job, so it's kind of on my mind a little bit. And uh, if you remember Job with me, he was a righteous, wealthy man who's found, who found himself completely upended his entire life. All his businesses, his multiple business ventures, his workers, his, his servants, his children passed away. He lost his health. He lost even... Uh, his wealth, and, and then his wife told him, why don't you just curse God and die? But lucky for him, his friends showed up to tell him that this all happened because he's a sinner and offended God, right? Since bad things only happen to bad people, right? And so Job said, thank you guys. You're such wonderful comforters. No, they were miserable. But this theology isn't just ancient. It's very modern. It's alive and well in the prosperity gospel that teaches you to strive to have your best life now. But, and we can look down on the prosperity gospel until we find that that sort of thinking is second nature to us. It's second nature to you. It's second nature to me. How, how easily we fall into that way of thinking. When something good happens, you think, ah, I'm good and God's rewarding me. See, look at this. When something bad happens, you think, man, what did I do to make God so mad at me? Or you think, I, I don't deserve this. Why is God punishing me? I'm a good person. It's a theology not just found 
anciently in Job's friends or of the Pharisees or even today's prosperity gospel. It's a theology that's found in us, you and me, even today. And this passage uh, for us really discusses what is the reward like from the Lord and how do, how do we receive that? And one question that this passage answers for us uh, is, is it okay to do good things in order to get a reward? And, and it also addresses a little bit of what is the nature of God's reward and when is it received? This first part of the passage deals with three different common acts of righteousness, giving, praying, and fasting. These were uh, upheld by Jesus here, but they were also very common in the day. Um, the Pharisees held to these practices. The people strove to attain these. And we even see these practices of uh, similar in other religions coming out of the area. So present day Islam. Uh, the five pillars of Islam are giving alms, uh, making your five daily prayers, fasting during the month of Ramadan, and they have two additional ones, is making a pilgrimage to uh, the Hajj, which is a pilgrimage to Mecca, and then saying their uh, prayer to Allah and um, uh, their prophet Muhammad. Um, but three of those are similar, right? Giving, praying, fasting. Three acts of common righteousness. But Jesus, when he begins discussing these acts of righteousness, kind of gives this sentence to set it up. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, just kind of pausing on this for a second before moving forward, we can glean a few things. The first is that Jesus expects us to practice righteousness. He expects us to practice right righteousness. It's not perfect, it's practice. But the introductory statement here, uh, when he addresses each different topic, he says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast... As a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, our proper action uh, is to live in accordance with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's like the way that we pay our tax in the kingdom of God is to become obedient to the gospel. And that includes these common acts of righteousness. There's that expectation to live a life in conformity with the gospel. But there's a warning here to be careful how you do it. Be careful that it's not done in front of others to be seen by them, to be seen by them. There is a carefulness when we're not to carry out our godly obligations so that others will think that we're super holy, uber holy, wow, that guy, look at that guy. Um, I mean, sometimes people are nosy or sneaky and they can figure out it was you when you did something nice. Sometimes the circumstance requires you to act right away to help somebody and it, there might be other people around you and you, you can't always avoid that. It's like, how do, you, how do I give to the church without the bookkeeper knowing that it was me? Ugh, right? Um, sometimes uh, the circumstances require uh, it to be done in front of other people. You can't always avoid, avoid being found out. But God wants the motive of your heart to be to please him, not to garner the praise of men. And then he also discusses reward, that there is a reward, that if you do it this way, you won't have a reward, but if you do it another way, you will have a reward. Some people think that we should just do good for the sake of doing good. And I think that you should do good for me for the sake of my good. Uh, but there's this affirmation in Jesus' statement that it's in fact okay to act or to work as to receive a reward. I found that works uh, also for my children. They respond well to positive reinforcement. They also respond 
well to negative re- reinforcement, um, and they, they differ from child to child. But the Lord does the same thing with us. I mean, over and over again throughout Scripture, there's uh, blessings for obedience and punishments for disobedience. When you look at the Old Testament covenant, the Mosaic law, when you look at the prophets, and even when you look at Jesus's teachings, he talks about hell and the punishments over and over and over again, but he talks about heaven and the reward for righteousness over and over and over again. And so there is great incentive for seeking after our Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, let's jump into these three different acts of righteousness. Now, the first one is giving. And you'll see as we go through these three and as we read through them and Um, most likely you've studied them a little bit on your own, that they're set up in a sort of uh, formula. It says, when you give, or when you pray, or when you fast, and then he says, don't do it like the hypocrites do. The hypocrites is the, the idea of the Greek stage actor. It looks like to everybody else, they're one thing, but really underneath where nobody else can see, there's a completely different person there. So when Jesus says, when you do your act of righteousness, don't do it like the hypocrites. The hypocrites do it this way. And they've received their reward in full, which is everybody looks at them and thinks they're great or amazing. He says, but when you do your act of righteousness, don't do it this way. And your father who sees what's done in secret will will reward you. So this is the sort of formula that he gives. And so this is what he he does with giving. When you give, Don't do it like the hypocrites. They stand out there on the street corners, in the synagogues, announcing it with trumpets. Uh, They go back, uh, they go to their friends and talk about the great works that they've done. Uh, They go to the pastor and talk about the incredible things that they're involved in and how God's using them so mightily um, and boasting in that. And Jesus says here that they've received the reward in full. Announcing it with trumpets, interesting. It's like our modern way of saying they toot their own horns but they've received their reward in full. That's all they get, in full, paid in full. There's no balance left. Um, I always like getting things paid off, uh, like you guys probably like getting things paid off and it's done. And it's interesting, when you, he's saying when you give uh, with the intention of, of showing it in front of other people, that's all you get. And that you know, kind of reminds me of when I played sports and you made a great, you, you can make a great play, I played baseball, you make a great play and people are like, oh, that was such a good catch or that was such a good hit, and, and then that's basically it. And there's no other reward. I never got paid for it either. Um, I just got injured, <laughs> so I paid for it, right? Um, but that's all you get. I remember I, I, uh, in college, I played Division Three baseball, NCAA, and um, in, back in Michigan, and, and I won the gold glove in the region, and I never got anything for it. Um, I, the next year, one of, somebody who was on my team was like, hey, did you know that you won the gold glove last year? And I was like, no, <laughs> I didn't know that. It was on some obscure website somewhere. So um, I, don't, I don't even think that website's even up anymore. So you don't even know if I'm telling the truth or not, right? But that, I didn't get anything and, and that's, that's all you got. That's all I get. I receive my reward in full. But Jesus said, but when you give, when you give, don't let your left, left hand know what your right hand is, is doing. It's a way of saying, uh, it was actually, it was, it was taught in the day that the, the best way to give, the ideal way to give was to give so that you didn't know who you were giving to and the person who receives it doesn't know who they're receiving it from. So the, both the giving hand and the receiving hand don't really know, they're not connected at all. 
And that's the idea of not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that was the ideal way to give. So there are, there are certain ways that, that the really righteous people would do it. They would sometimes just drop money behind them um, and, and then keep on walking. There was a special place uh, in, it was said that there was a special place in the temple or a room where you could go back and, and deposit money and then leave. And then there was another time when people who needed to have money because they were poor could go back and get that. And so you would never know quite who you were giving money to. So that was kind of like the ideal way. And Jesus affirms that, that there's something just really special and blessed about giving and, and doing that uh, without receiving any praise. But then he says, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Your father sees. Your father sees all things in secret. Um, so I like, I enjoy uh, going home at the end of the day and giving my wife the full report of all the amazing things I did today. And uh, typically it's like, you know, here's all the bad things that happened at work and here's how I was victorious over these things. And I'm always the hero in my uh, reports to my wife. And, and I nev I've never done anything wrong either. And... Um, and I'm always looking for that sort of praise, that affirmation from, you know, somebody like my wife or anybody. <laughs> um, thank you. Oh. Oh. And that's my only reward. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> but there's something special in, in that even when you do something and nobody will ever know about it, nobody will ever see it, and maybe nobody will ever believe it because it came from you, um, that your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you because he sees all things. And there is a reward, there's a promise, and this is coming from Jesus. So that's, that's precious. So there's, there's giving, doing something good for another person. Um, and then he moves on to praying. And again, he follows that same formula. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. They love praying in front of everybody else, in the street corners, in the synagogues to be seen, they've received their reward in full. But you go into your inner room, close the door, and your father who is unseen and sees in secret will reward you. And so for me, there's some people who are like, well, you should never pray in public. But then we see at other places, the disciples praying together uh, in front of the church, uh, we see that Jesus even says, you know, where two or more agree on any one thing, there I am with them. And so there's this affirmation to pray together in front of people. So like I had to pray before you guys today. And my heart behind that is because I want us all to connect with the Lord. And I want, and I want the Lord to bless our time together. And I want him to illuminate his word so that we could understand it. And so for me, that's a joy. But if that was the only time I ever prayed was when I came up uh, before you guys, so you guys would, you're like, is he really a pastor? Okay, he prayed, he is a pastor, so he's righteous. Um, then there would be something wrong. The most precious times of prayer for me are when I'm by myself and it's just me and my father and I can say whatever is on my heart uh, that the spirit brings up and you know, bear my soul to him without uh, fear of reproach or uh, <laughs> other people thinking, uh, uh, wow, you're horrible. I can't believe that's what's on your mind and what you're going through. That's the most special time of prayer. And in the inner room, uh, close the door. This is really, um, they, they didn't have a whole lot of doors in the days of Jesus, especially in households. But one place that they often had a door, the inner room was like the pantry space. Um, so if you guys you know, don't have anywhere to pray, you can always go in the pantry and some of you are like, my pantry's really tight. You open it up and there's the shelves. And it's like, well, if you can cram yourself in the shelf, then it might work, your prayer might work better. No, that's a joke. You don't have to do that. 
But it's that idea of going by yourself alone with a father. And then it says your father who's also unseen. So it's interesting, Jesus expands it a little bit here and he says, you know, your father isn't seen either. And that's interesting, right? Because a lot of people are like, well, if God was so real, how come I can't see him? How come I can't do a scientific test on him to make sure that you know, I'm not, I can test his blood or anything like that and what's his pulse? But he's unseen. He doesn't need to be seen. He does all sorts of, of good and incredible, amazing things on our behalf all the time. And he remains unseen. And aren't we like his children, right? It's okay. And he actually sees when we do those things and he rewards us. There are many things that my sons do that I see and know about that they don't know about. <laughs> they don't know that I know, good and bad. And it's the same thing with our father. But he, Jesus gives this addition here. So he, he strays a little bit because mostly when he was speaking of the, the hypocrites, he's speaking of uh, the, the Pharisees or the teachers of the law, the, the high and mighty in the, the faith of the Jews. But he expands here. There's this addition also don't pray like the pagans. So he, he expands a little bit, mostly talking about Jews, but now he goes into the Gentiles because the Gentiles have their own way of praying. And their way of praying is babbling, thinking that their many words will make them better heard. Now, this could be two different ways. This could be high, lofty, exalted phraseology, uh, thinking that if you can speak in old uh, King James, then the Lord will hear you better. Uh, if you can just kind of get up on the plane with Jesus and God and speak just like them, then maybe they'll hear you. Um, but, then, but then there's also just repetition of different kind of prayers. Uh, you know, you could do that with the Lord's Prayer even, which he goes into if you say it over and over and over again. It sort of loses its meaning. Um, but also there's just... One way that, that pagans pray is by saying a word or a phrase over and over and over and over and over and over and over again for 30 minutes, an hour, two hours, three hours. If I was up here and I was just saying, Jesus, 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 like the whole time, most of you would be like, this is getting kind of weird. I need to leave now, right? <laughs> like this is getting kind of creepy. And uh, the reason that people do that is by, uh, by repeating something over and over and over again, you can put yourself into like a sort of hypnotic state, a state of ecstasy, and you can kind of clear your mind and open yourself up to things that are spiritual. Jesus tells us not to do that. We're not to clear our minds. Uh, the Lord gave us a mind. We're supposed to worship the Lord with all of our heart, all our, our soul's strength and mind. He says, come, let us reason together. So that at no point are we supposed to like get rid of our mental faculties. We're supposed to keep those things intact. Um, but when we pray, we pray with a simplicity. We pray with a simplicity and a reverence, a worship, submission to the Lord. And this is how Jesus tells us to pray. And another place, Jesus, the disciples come to Jesus and ask Jesus, uh, teach us to pray. What should we pray like? And so even though this is often called the Lord's Prayer, it's really a prayer Jesus is telling his disciples to pray. When you pray, this is how you ought to pray. Father in heaven, it starts out with worship. It starts out with recognizing that we have a father, not just some God who's far away. We have a father who's in heaven, a father who loves us. And he's, and he's in heaven and, and he's worth praying to. And then it, it goes into reverence hallowed or holy is your name. Holy means set apart. Holy means different. 
You're not a God like every other God. You're not like a God of the Canaanites. You're not like a God of the Greek pantheon. You're not like a Hindu God. You're not like Allah. You're totally different. You're the creator. No one else is like you. There's none like you. So you're worthy of our worship. You're worthy of my prayers because you can actually act on my behalf and you're worth it. And then it goes into like a desire for God's rule. It says, your kingdom come. That's your kingdom come into my heart. That's, that's the lordship of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning over my heart and my life and my, my actions. But it's also his king, we seeing his, his kingdom expand as people give their lives to Jesus Christ and become obedient to his name and coming under his lordship. But also it's looking forward to the second coming of Jesus Christ when he ushers in his millennial reign, his kingdom. We look forward to his kingdom coming and, and we pray for that. And then it's a submission of will. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And this we're reminded of G even Jesus's prayer in the garden, not my will, but thy will be done, Lord. And then we have a petition of personal needs. So whereas at, at first we start with reverence and worship of God for who he is and, and that he's set apart and different. And the, the reality of that we want his kingdom to expand and we want his will to come, not my will, not my kingdom or rulership. We want God's. And then it goes into the things that we need help with. And we all need help in many ways. And the first is the petition of our personal needs. Give us today our daily bread, the things I need, my, my food, my clothing, my water. Um, these things aren't all given, but the Lord takes care of us. But we, but we ask him, especially when we're up against a hard place, he helps us. And then we petition for our spiritual needs. You know, forgive us our debts. Uh, we are greatly indebted to God for our sin. But there's also that expectation that as we're asking God for forgiveness, we don't uh, withhold forgiveness from other people. If, if we expect it from God, how much more should we give it to the other people? And then recognizing at the end our own spiritual weakness, where we pr pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For we are so prone to wander, so prone to go astray. Uh, we need God's help in those things. So this is how the Lord tells us we are to pray. This is what our prayer is supposed to be like. When you pray, not like the hypocrites, pray like this. And then it goes into fasting. Fasting is, is denying yourself. It's humbling yourself before the Lord. It's ref refraining from even doing something good for yourself. I remember um, that uh, I, I went to, well, I remember when I went to college. It's like, yeah, I, I remember that. Sorry, I'm getting weird up here. Uh, so I went to a college uh, in the Midwest and uh, they uh, observed Lent. And we don't really observe Lent, but Lent is a period of fasting leading up to Easter. It's 40 days long. And uh, in, in there somewhere, they would get like the little ash crosses on people's heads. And I'm like, I'm not putting a, cr a cross ash thing on my head. That's weird. Um, I don't know what that's about. But uh, for Lent, people would fast giving up something good. So oftentimes they would be like, I'm giving up chocolate. Uh, or they'd be like, I'm, you know, I'm gonna give up Facebook for 40 days. And I was always like, why don't you give up partying or sleeping around? Like, how about that? <laughs> <laughs> give that up. You could do that. Maybe give that up forever. Um, <laughs> so anyways, n not everybody was like that, but um, it's, it's easy to see the hypocrisy sometimes in others better than yourself. But he says, but Jesus even here acknowledges fasting. When you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites do. They, when they fast, when they refrain from, but typically in the Bible, it's refraining from eating, 
right? So when you fast, don't do it like the hypocrites do. They look all somber, they look sad, they look tired. They, they disfigure their faces like they're in agony or pain. They don't, they're unkempt, they don't do their hair, they smell, right? They don't put oil on. And Jesus says they've received their reward in full. That's all they get. That's all they get. But when you fast, you do it differently. Wash up, look normal so it's not obvious, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Um, so, I mean, I found that short fasts that um, are like, kind of like directly aimed at something that the Lord's actually putting on your heart. Um, I've tried to fast where it's just like, man, I've heard people fasting and I'm just gonna fast today. And there's like really no, no aim. I'm just like fasting aimlessly. Um, and then it's really hard to not tell people about it after, <laughs> afterwards because it wasn't from the Lord. But there's sometimes you come up against stuff in your life and you just feel like you just can't get past it. Um, you're struggling with something, you're wrestling with something, and there's, you, you feel like I can't, even like my prayers, they're not, it, it feels like the sky is brass and they're not going anywhere. Or there's somebody else, it, that's what they're, what's going on in their life. And the Lord puts on your heart, you need to fast. And so I found that like a, like a day fast uh, for me, where every time a hunger pang happens, it reminds me to pray for that specific thing throughout the day. Um, and as the day progresses, I pray more because I get more hungry. Um, but I've also found just there's some kind of practical wisdom to that because my wife makes a lot of the meals. And so if I fast without telling my wife about it and she makes me food and I'm like, oh, I'm not gonna eat that, I'm fasting. And she's like, why didn't you tell me about it? <laughs> and I, at first I was like, well, because I don't wanna tell people about it, but then it's kind of inevitable. I can't really get out of that one. So I found that it's always nice to be respectful to people around you. And if there's somebody who prepares food, uh, in, your in your household to let them know about it so they don't waste their time making you food. But anyways, it, it ends in the same way. The, your father who sees in secret will reward you. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So there's, the, the truth is it's better for you, it's better for me that nobody sees or hears of your sacrifice because when you aim to receive praise from men, you miss out on the reward from God. When you aim to receive praise from men, you miss on the reward from God. And that's, and God sees all things. He doesn't need our time cards processed. He doesn't need a report submitted. Uh, you don't need to tell me about it. God has everything logged perfectly in his heavenly books. By doing what God asked me to do in secret, I give him glory and humility. And when we give God glory on earth, Jesus acknowledges us before the Father in heaven. So this is the first part of Matthew chapter six, and I gotta move on quickly here uh, to get through the last parts. Uh, Matthew chapter six is a, is a large chapter, uh, but uh, it all flows really well together because uh, when you start talking about rewards, 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 then immediately you start thinking about, ooh, I get stuff. All right, what, what kind of stuff do I get? And so Jesus starts talking about treasures right after this, right? It just makes sense. If he's talking about rewards, then he's gonna start talking about, so what things do you really treasure, All right? And the thing that you treasure is the thing that you value, obviously. It's the thing you put your energy into. It's the thing you put your time into. It's the thing that captivates your thoughts. And the thing you put your resources towards, those are your treasures. It's the thing that you put your hope in. It's the thing that you just can't wait for. It's the thing that you die 
to protect. Uh, this last year, my wife and I uh, paid off a bunch of student loans. I think I've talk, told you guys about that before. And I've been out of school for 10 years and we've kind of been scraping and clawing to get these loans paid off. The borrower is slave to the lender. And we like dreamed about getting our loans paid off. We talked about it like we were getting out of prison or something. It's like, what are you gonna do when you get your loans paid off? It's like, I'm gonna do this. What are you gonna do when you get your loans paid off? Well, I'm gonna do this, right? And the day finally came, right? And we sat down together and we opened up the computer screen because that's how you make your payments now. And um, it, was, it was like miraculous. We, we put in the, the payment and hit enter, and it says, payment has been successfully submitted. And that was it, right? And it was like, no confetti, no balloons, nobody jumped out of anything. I, I thought it would be more magical than that. But I mean, even though it was a good thing, even though it was something that really needed to happen in our lives, I treasured it in my heart and I so looked forward to it and it came and it went and in some ways it disappointed because it really shouldn't have been my treasure. And, I, and as you have those experiences more and more, even the really good things in life, um, you realize that I don't think this life contains the treasure that my heart really wants. And that's what Jesus is talking about. There's a treasure you cannot attain in this life. You will never attain it because it's not found in this life. It's found in the life to come. It's found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what he has in store for us in heaven. And it's here that the prosperity gospel dies because Jesus says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Rather, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Because the promise for reward from our Father is realized in heaven. You gain reward in this present life by making sure uh, you can gain reward in this present life making sure other people see you, they heap praises on you, they share around how, town how good you are. But in so doing, you've only gotten the reward that you can get and it's over. And so for us, this is like an ultimate lesson in delayed gratification, which we all hate. But fortunately, there's no mystery to how treasures are stored up because you could just kind of plop in chapter six here and talk about storing up treasures in heaven. You think like, how do treasures get stored up in heaven? I don't really know how, how I can do that. Well, that's why we read the previous uh, verses about when you do this, your father will reward you in heaven. When you give, when you pray, when you fast, you're rewarded by your father in heaven for acts of righteousness. So there's no mystery on how rewards are attained or how treasures are stored up. But of course, this presupposes that your father in heaven is your God, that he actually is your father in heaven. And so it requires first and foremost that you be born again by the spirit of God, by believing in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Only then when you become a child of God, are you eligible for any inheritance from the father. Inheritance are passed from father to sons uh, and we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ as he's the firstborn and we're adopted into his family. So that's storing up treasures in heaven. And that kind of gets us thinking like, is it wrong then to save money? And one thing uh, that we realize is that money is only a treasure if money is your treasure. Money is only a treasure if money is your treasure. And otherwise, money is just a tool to be used like your shirt 
or like your car or like your table or like your shoes. It's just a tool. Unless it's your treasure and it's the thing that you protect, the thing you'll die for, the thing you think about and the thing that you long for in, in your heart and you hope for like on payday, like me. And the, Lord, and the Lord gives us wisdom throughout his word. He gives us wisdom in dealing with money. He, he tells us there's foolish ways to deal with money as well. One, one wise way is to uh, save portions of your money and not use it all. Proverbs 13, says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner's wealth is passed off to the righteous. So there's wisdom in, in not using up all of your money, living not just below your means, but even below a, a little bit further uh, so that you can save, so that you're not uh, a hardship on your children and their children. And there's also wisdom in using your worldly wealth for the sake of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And it's kind of an odd thing to think about. It makes sense uh, to us though. When you look at the parable of the shrewd manager, this is an interesting parable to look at in Luke chapter 16. If you remember the parable, there's this uh, manager who's taking care of his master's properties and there's a bad report about him that he's been wasting money. So the master calls him in and says, you need to give account because you're no longer gonna be my manager because you've been wasting my stuff. And so the manager thinks to himself like, I'm not very good at physical work. I don't know if I can get another job. So my plan is, okay, I'm gonna call in some of our customers that owe us money. And he calls them in and says, hey, how's it going? I love working with you. Um, how much do, do you owe again? You know what? Uh, I love working with you. I'll just cut it in half. Don't worry about it. You're such a great customer. We love you here. Um, come back anytime, do business with me. Next guy comes in, yeah, take 30% off, you know. You, you've done a lot of nice things for me. And, and he does this uh, so that he might get in good with them. So after he loses his job, maybe he can go get a job with them, right? And, uh, and so the master commends him. The master commends him. What you did was really smart. And then at the end of this parable, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So this is an interesting thing to think about. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when your worldly wealth is gone and it's all gone for all of us, at the end, we all have to turn it all in. In the end, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. It's talking about using your worldly wealth to gain souls for eternity so that you can see them in heaven. Like that, talk about a treasure in heaven. The only thing that you can take from this life are the souls of people who've been led to Jesus Christ, right? That's a real treasure. That's using worldly wealth in the way that Jesus wants us to. But then there's folly with money, right? There's folly in, in putting your hope in money, trusting in uncertain riches. First Timothy 6.17 says, command those who are rich in this present age uh, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And there's also folly in using even the injunction not to store up treasure as permission to spend everything on yourself. Well, you say to yourself, well, I'm not supposed to store up treasure, so let's go out to eat again. Because <laughs> I shouldn't have any money in my bank account. And you're like, ah, no, that's not. Even Proverbs talks about that. Proverbs 21, 20 says, the wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp all theirs down. So there's folly in just spending everything lavishly on yourself. 
Um, now, you might think to yourself, and money, is it really that big of a deal? And, but in some ways, money is one of the biggest deals. And that's why Jesus then goes on and talks about the eyes and talks about serving masters. The idea of eyes being light and eyes being dark uh, was a way of saying people, was a way of discussing people who were greedy and people who were generous. Somebody with dark eyes was somebody who was greedy. And we, can, we kind of see that, you know, somebody who's real stingy and doesn't want you eating um, the good food at their house. That's what I do with my kids because they don't appreciate it. It ends up on the floor. Um, I kind of look at them. I furrow my brow and my eyes get a little dark. And I'm like, you're not going for the good chocolate, are you over there? Your chocolate's over here, <laughs> right? Um, but if your high eye is, is healthy or light, um, you'll be really generous. So that's kind of like when your eyes are open, oh yeah, take anything you want. Anything in our house is yours. There's something to being a generous person uh, that is so uh, wonderful to be around and is so godly. Uh, I even think of 1 Corinthians chapter six. We look at, uh, we've, you've most likely seen this passage before. Uh, verses nine through 10 uh, says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor uh, men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindle, swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And um, this is one of the texts in scripture uh, that addresses the sin of homosexuality. And so most of the time you'll go to the passage, just look at that. But something you don't notice that I want us to focus in right now is realizing, don't be deceived, the greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. The greedy will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is a, it's a powerful thought. It's just like those who are just not generous aren't godly. Jesus goes on to talk about serving. You, can, you have two choices. You can serve God or you can serve money. The word for money is mammon. It's any kind of worldly wealth, any kind of earthly treasure. You cannot serve both of them. So inevitably, when you hear something like this from Jesus Christ, you kind of get worried, right? Uh, you, get, you get panicked inside. How can I survive in this world if I'm not concerned about money? And here Jesus explains to us how and why a man can live focused on God instead of focusing on money. And he gives us some illustrations. And, uh, and it's an illustration of God as the provider because God really provides all things for us. Uh, you remember Abraham and Isaac. I mean, Ken's been going through Genesis. Um, and so uh, Ken started Genesis at the creation um, and he'll continue teaching it until the end of time, too. So, uh, no, I'm kidding. But in there, uh, Abraham went to offer Isaac, and then uh, the Lord provided a ram as a substitute. And, and so the saying goes, as it is said, the Lord will provide. On the mountain, the Lord will provide. So we get the name of the Lord, Jehovah Jireh, from that incident. And so we... Jesus gives us this illustration to show how God provides, even for smaller things. And he gives us an, an argument. It's actually, uh, a, the name for it is argument a fortiori. So it's a, that's a Latin phrase for it. And Latin fortis means uh, strength. So it's an argument from strength. So like we would say like to fortify something or fortification uh, is to strengthen it. Uh, but it's the idea of from lesser to greater. So if, if something is true from lesser, the argument of strength would say how much more so for the greater instance. So here's, the, here's like the type of argument. If you're going 10 miles an hour over the speed limit 
in Priest River like I was, you might get a $100 ticket, right? Um, but what if you're going 20 miles an hour? Will you still get a ticket? Yes, <laughs> you will. It will be at least $100, probably more than that. Why? Because there's a stronger argument for getting uh, a greater ticket because you weren't just going 10, you were going 20 miles an hour over. So that's the argument a fortiori. And so Jesus gives us that in regards to food and clothing. And he talks about food. I mean, Jesus, we remember he is the son of God. He was involved at creation. Through, the, through him, the whole world was created. So he understands what things uh, fall in what places in the creative order. And Jesus starts off talking about men and birds. Birds, God provides for them, right? God provides food for birds. And then Jesus said, man is greater than birds. Yes, man is greater than birds. Okay, there's some religions and philosophies that don't teach that man is greater than birds. It's pantheistic or um, uh, the Hindu religion. But Jesus affirms as the creator God that no man is greater than birds. How much more, if he provides food for the birds, which are lesser, how much more though would he provide food for the greater, which is man? Much more. And then he talks about grass of the field and clothing, right? God provides beautiful flowers, lilies, to clothe the grass of the field. Then he says, man is greater than grass. Okay, right? Man is greater than grass, yes. So if you, if you haven't learned anything from tonight, man's greater than birds and man's greater than grass. Okay, how much more then, if he provides for the grass, will he provide for man? How much more? God is the God who provides um, and so we look at this passage and we, and we think to ourselves, man, um, is it then wrong to plan about tomorrow if I'm not supposed to kind of, well, the birds, I don't know if they plan for tomorrow. I don't think the grasses have brains. At least they have more than me, maybe. I'm not sure exactly. But anyways, is it wrong to plan? We think to ourselves about that. Um, the answer is no, it's not wrong to plan. And a wise man counts the cost before building. Even Jesus told this in a parable in Luke 14. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? If you lay the foundation and aren't able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. So Jesus is here talking about just the wisdom in planning, looking forward in the future. So no, it's not wrong to plan. But it is wrong to boast about your plans. To, uh, uh, like in Proverbs, it says, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day may bring. Or in James, he talks about, you talk about you're gonna go to this city or that city and you have all your business adventures and uh, you're gonna make money here and you're gonna make money there and you, and you brag about it. And Jesus is like, you don't really know what's gonna happen tomorrow. So it's not, it's not wrong to plan. It's not wrong to plan. It's wrong to boast about your plans. And it's not wrong to plan, but it is wrong to worry about tomorrow. It's not wrong to plan about tomorrow, it's wrong to worry about tomorrow. Uh, most things we worry about will never happen. There's lots of studies out there. Some of the studies say that as much as 85% of the things that we worry about never actually happen. And then of the things that actually do happen, uh, some of those things, when they do happen, really aren't so bad. Some of the things actually are really bad. <laughs> and yet you still learn valuable lessons from those things. And some things that you worry about that can happen to you, you can avoid by preparing for it instead of worrying. So we've got a bunch of little kids and they're running around and we're, uh, we've gotten a couple of them stitched up 
And so uh, you, we can look at the fireplace and be like, and we can worry like, oh, what if they fall into the fireplace on the corner and crack their skull open? And, uh, and you can sit there on your lazy boy and like worry about that. Um, or you can just go and get a bumper from the store and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> so there's some things you could just go to the store and take care of it, right? Um, and then there's things that are completely unavoidable. They're, and worrying still doesn't even help. Still doesn't even help. Uh, and Jesus tells us here, uh, after this uh, section on worrying, he says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you as well. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus said something fascinating to me. Uh, he said, truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last. Um, I, at one point in my life, I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna, it's gonna cost me everything. I'm gonna serve Jesus and I'm, I'm gonna go into ministry and I'm just gonna do it. And I, I, he's gonna have to provide for me or I don't know what's gonna happen. And I did it. And then the Lord provided and he, and he blessed me with way more than I could ever deserve or ask for. And you, you feel bad about that at first because you're like, I don't really deserve all the stuff and I'm not supposed to be storing up treasures on, on earth. And, I, and you kind of like wrestle, like, should I have these things? But when I read this, this section in Mark chapter 10, I realized this is God just taking care of me. You've left these things. You, the lie is that you thought you were gonna be desolate when you left. The reality is God takes care. God provides the lie is that if we run after God, we'll be left broken and with nothing. The reality is that God will provide for us when we run after him. And he even says the pagans, they run after this world and God even provides for the pagans, for people who are godless. You know, he, the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous. The, the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. God provides food for, and breath and air and, and things for all of us. So we don't have to run after the world. We run after Jesus and he'll provide for us. Earlier, well, last week, so it was last Tuesday, um, I had to go in and have like an emergency surgery. Uh, I wasn't planning on it. That's what an emergency part of it is. Uh, so uh, I was eating food and some uh, enchilada, some shredded beef enchilada got stuck between my windpipe and the top of my stomach. And... Um, and I, I couldn't get it down and I had to go to ER and they tried you know, different kind of drugs to relax it and things like that and they couldn't get it down either. And so I had to go surgery and they did the end, endoscopy thing and put me under anesthetic and all sorts of things happened, right? And um, we had been saving for a down payment on a house, right? And uh, we're just starting to get close and we're like, we're just about there and we're kind of getting excited about it, right? And then now we have this ER bill, right? And... Um, that, that was my first thought was like, I, I don't want to go to the doctor because I'm trying to save up for a house, right? And, and then I thought, you know what? God sees, he knows, he'll take care of it. It's like, even if we don't get to buy a house the time we wanted to, or, or it's not as nice, it's okay. It's not my will, it's God's will. It's not my kingdom, it's his kingdom. It's his will be done. God's always provided for my family. He always will. It's totally fine. And so um, 
and the, the surgery was fine and I'm okay. I'm waiting on test results to, to find out if there was some sort of like allergic reaction or if I'm just bad at eating. Uh, so the doctor will tell me about that, probably as a nurse will. Um, anyways, uh, kind of to wrap it up, because I'm a little bit over on time, I, I, I picture myself, I see myself as uh, a greedy sort of man. I'm Drew, and I'm a greedy person. I've been greedy for a while now. A man who's always trying to better, been trying to better myself and make sure I always come out on top. But God doesn't see me this way because of his, the work of his son, Jesus. Uh, we read that list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 of the people who aren't going to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Included in them are the greedy. Um, but I stopped reading, and I want to continue that passage, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11, because it concludes on a high note, and we see that God sees us different. And he goes, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. That's who I was, and that's not how I'm seen anymore because of what Jesus Christ has done. And that's not who I need to be anymore. I don't need to be that greedy man. I don't need to furrow my brow and count the things that people are taking from me. I'm no longer shrouded in darkness. I've been born of the Spirit of God and brought into the kingdom of his marvelous light, and I'm his child. And because I have an inheritance in heaven that far outweighs anything on this earth, I can be at peace. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no human mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So uh, to, to summarize, I'm gonna be reading a little bit from Matthew chapter six here, some selected scriptures, and then uh, we'll pray and uh, sing some songs and you guys can go grab your kids uh, screaming children from Moana. So Jesus says anyways, uh, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. But your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you'll wear. For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you guys, you God, for your, your kindness towards us and your love for us. You are Jehovah Jireh. You're the God who provides everything that we need in this life and everything that we need in the life to come, Lord. You have provided. And you're the God who sees, Lord. You see the things that we do that are good, and you see the things that we do that are not quite so good, you see those of us who have uh, been defined as greedy people in our family or in, in our businesses or uh, in our school, Lord. Um, but Lord, you don't see us that way anymore. You've washed us, you've sanctified us, you've cleansed us. You've been so exceedingly generous and good to us, always providing God. I pray that you would help us to be generous uh, just as you have been to us. Make us uh, like your son, Jesus Christ, more and more, Lord. So we praise you, God, and we thank you for this night. Uh, we also just pray for a grace for um, Pastor Ken and the team in Russia, God, uh, that you would just bless their time there and encourage the church in Russia, Lord. We pray these things all in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.